1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
0: Hi, this is Billie Jean King This is Marion Bartoli I'm Mats Villander This is Mary Carrillo This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah
1: and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast <laughs>
2: Well, day 10 at the US Open. We are between sessions. Dusk is descending, and we have had two amazing singles matches already. Whilst singles stories, um, the matches have been straight sets, which is becoming a bit of a theme for the last couple of days. We've still got the night session to come, which re- means we'll be catching up for a second part of this edition of the Tennis Podcast to cover the matches involving Igor Sviantek. Um, and Jessica Pagula, and then Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner. So that's still to come. But generally, whilst straightforward, Catherine, I've quite enjoyed today. What, what about you?
3: Oh, today's been great. It's been absolutely great. I mean, first and foremost, I have not been rained on today.
2: <laughs> that's a that's a benefit, isn't it? And it, also, it,
3: it's it not, most certainly has. Not, I not humid. I haven't uncomfortably sweated. No. <laughs> No. Um, I know every, everybody loves an update on that. Um, and the, albeit straight sets matches, the tennis, the tennis has been great. This place has felt electric.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, immaculate vibes on the grounds today. Wow. Great, great day.
2: Yeah, no, it really has. Before we get on to talking about the matches that we've already had and the ones still to come, let me remind you about our competition for a trip to the Australian Open. One friend of the Tennis Podcast and a guest are going to receive two return economy flights, three nights accommodation in a hotel, four days of tickets for the Australian Open, and a premium experience to the Australian Open in January. You just have to be a friend of the Tennis Podcast to enter. Details of how to become a friend are in our show notes. If you already won and you haven't entered yet, you can still do so. Check out our newsletter for the link or email us, friends at tennispodcast.com. And uh, I tell you, the premium experience that I I really could do with just at the moment is the wine tasting, um, Mm. which is one that they they do. Ausopentravel.com, AUSopentravel.com, if you want to go and have a look at the others that they do. But I haven't had a glass of wine, I haven't had a honey juice. It's my birthday and I haven't had (laughs) any of this.
3: Yes, why haven't we mentioned yet that it's your birthday and why don't we have honey juices? Last Last time David and I drank a honey juice together, Coco Andrescu appeared out of nowhere, as if by magic. Yeah. And what better birthday present could there be?
2: Yes. Let's interrupt this podcast immediately. Actually, no, we've got a second part coming up, so I've got to pace myself. (laughs) So I'll have the honey juice in between. That'll work. The day's tennis. Start with Francis Diafo. because you said the place has been electric. He has just warmed people's hearts today. And he's also, I think, Catherine... I don't, know, I don't think he's shown himself what he's capable of because I think he really believed in himself. But I think he's proved a few doubters wrong, probably including myself.
3: I, even more than his tennis, and I am blown away by his tennis, I am blown away by the way Francis Tiafo is talking. Um, when asked by Greg Rzezinski in our on-court flash interview, which means the, the immediate interview that happens literally in the corner of the court, Um, as as the players walking off he said can do you think do you think you can become the first American in 19 years to to win this title he said I do I do looked him dead in the eye couldn't have said it more plainly and he made me believe him
2: yeah I I love that and actually Pam Shriver we love Pam friend of the pod Pam who was on ESPN today and she she does a great job of going into the crowd and speaking to the teams I've always thought that's some, something really gives insight when you're right courtside and she spoke to Wayne Ferreira the coach of Tiafa and she said to him well what do you think two more to go and he said look I think he can win this next match he's beaten both Sinner and Alcraz before and there's a clear confidence within that camp and I, I mean I suppose you would you would expect it to be but there wasn't it didn't just feel hopeful it felt convinced confidence
1: yeah and I felt like this one was going to be a really hard one for him you know backing up beating Rafa Nadal is something that a lot of players have struggled with you know it's really hard to do that
3: uh, can I just interrupt to tell you that the man you are talking about is over your right shoulder Matt
2: Francis just, Tiafoe. Just taking a
3: quick selfie with some fans.
2: He's just walking by.
3: In his Serena Williams goat hoodie.
2: Yeah, I mean that is so cool.
1: Did you hear him <laughs> on ESPN the other night? He was he was wearing that, and Chris Evert was there, and he said, "Sorry, Chrissy, goat <laughs> <laughs> Serena Williams." <laughs>
3: anyway, Matt. Sorry, as you were. Yeah, I, like, I assume that Tiafoe won't interrupt us again. <laughs> very.
1: Like. He had. 48 hours to think about what he'd done, you know, beating Rafael Nadal, the moment of his career, and yet he's still in this tournament, and he has busted it wide open. He he had given himself a chance to win it. So for him to come out like he did today, I was so impressed, and he just brought such good energy to the court right from the start, uh, and. I was watching the ESPN coverage and Darren Cahill was, was sort of previewing the match and he was saying, Tiafo has way more options than Rublev. Like, okay, Rublev might have a better forehand, but everything else you would probably give the age to Tiafo. Backhand, athleticism, big serve. And the, and the one he pointed out was touch at the net. And that, that was a real element that blew me away today. How well Tiafo came forward, finished points at the net. And he just kept it up the whole match. He didn't, he didn't get broken. It was such a good performance in its own right. And within the context of coming out to be the performance that you back up the Nadal win with, it was just electric. And if anyone has ever played a better tie-break than the one Tiafoe played in the second set... 7-0. I want to see it, because it was perfection. He was charging the net, he was hitting... Jumping return winners on the backhand, he was slamming aces down.
2: He proved the jump backhand return that I questioned (laughs) the point of had a point, Mm. I think.
3: Yeah, he played it. It was exactly the scenario that we described it, it being appropriate in. Francis Chaffer would be delighted that we're, <laughs> that we're deeming his shot selection appropriate, won't he? Uh, which was um, trying to be aggressive on return, take it early at the, at the zenith of the, at the bounce, leaning into it, f- following the momentum forwards, taking it from just inside the baseline, I think. It was, it was perfect shot selection and perfect execution. And you don't get much better than that. And, and he finished off that tie break by continuing his... He jogged to the mm. chair, didn't he? It was, it was such a power move, but nothing feels calculated with Francis Tiafo. He's just in the moment and feeling it and transmitting it. You feel like you're basking in his reflected glow. It's, it's quite special. It's very infectious.
2: It makes me smile when I watch him play tennis like that with a crowd. The worst thing you can do is put him in an empty stadium. I mean, the, the pandemic situations that we had, some of the outside courts that he might play in places other than, other than America. But he's just a completely different player if you give him a crowd that are into it, and he is into. We had it in Australia when he had his run to the quarterfinals. There were moments where the connection that he would forge, it was, it was so genuine, as you, as you say. And people are just uplifted by him you know he makes you feel good he makes you want to care about the sports and I end up feeling a bit sorry for an opponent because how do you combat that especially if you're Rublev who plays in these straight lines up and down the court and and he refused to allow that and and actually I I went back and read a piece that I've, I've probably read a couple of times when researching Francis Tiafo in his early career written by Liz Clark in the Washington Post from what is it, eight years ago now? I mean, he's, he's 24 now, he was 16 then, telling the story about how his dad was uh, a maintenance man in the tennis club in Maryland, and he would sleep in, uh, Francis and his brother would sleep in the, the, the tennis club, and he eventually discovered the sport and was practicing and learning how to play there. But what came across is the way people talked about him that, that knew about him as an early his early coach or Patrick McEnroe who was the head of the USTA's player division at the time they talked about that variety that kind of intuitive selection of options that he would have in his game that it wasn't just A to B tennis there was a lot more to his game than that and I don't think I ever really saw that enough early on in his career or realised how good it was or how he didn't package it in a way that was winning Enough for me to believe in him, and now he's he's both an athlete, a professional, a performer, a performer, and, and a winner, and he's a winner, and he's got all that to unlock. It depends on what the player is. He can kind of do a few different things depending on who he's playing.
3: And quite often, the whole sort of being a performer and an entertainer bit is pitched against being a an efficient winner um as if you know having more of one means compromising more of the other and sometimes that is the case depend but it depends on the person you know for Gaël Monfils that probably has been a little bit the case and he I think he does own that doesn't he you know and maybe he regrets his choices maybe he doesn't and Perhaps up until now that has been a little bit the case for Francis Tiafo, but I think he's proving that it doesn't have to be. And I think Carlos Alcaraz is as well. You know, again, he's finding the balance. He's finding where he wants to be on the scale, and there is a balance to be found. But they're not in diametric opposition, and that's an exciting prospect for for the game. I think is we want both.
0: Yeah. We we
3: want the we want the people that. Set the place alight to also be there reliably and be winning. Yeah, we don't want them to do that and then disappear. Be
2: relevant. Yeah, often and, and actually, a day after Coco Goff went out of this tournament, and you know several other big names have lost over the last few days. Nick Kyrgios is a name that brings attention, and um, and a lot of people lost and I feel for Andre Rublev we'll go on to talk to him about him but Tiafo has given this whole event this massive boost today it's it's just taken it to another level and and I really didn't think it was likely because of that backing up a Nadal win
1: yeah there's there's such a love for him here the the crowds just watching his ESPN interview by the fountains outside the Arthur Ashe stadium was enormous and you know he's he's obviously the what is he the first american man to get to the semis here since roddick
2: in 06 mm. so that's 16 years yeah a long and, time
1: and look okay there's there's two more matches but it would be it's already huge what he's done it would be monumental if he wins this you know I think not having an American man winning slams, OK, men's tennis has been in a great place for, for 20 years, but it has been missing that, and I think it, was just, it, it would be big for the sport.
3: And Jim Courier explains so well on our Prime Video coverage why he is such a quintessentially American story, Francis Tiafoe, first-generation American, son of immigrants refugees from from Sierra Leone the uh, I I have issues with the concept of the American dream but if looked at through a certain lens he is the embodiment of that you know didn't didn't come from a lot The, the the janitor story is as you said and is not only making a lot of himself but is making a lot of this tournament and sort of everybody he comes into contact with and this is a nation of immigrants and I think that's felt more so in New York than, than anywhere else um, everybody it seems to have seems to be in touch with their roots from outside of America no matter how far back you have to stretch to find them um, and it feels I don't know, it feels very uplifting that, that he's doing this now
1: Immigrants get the job done you could say You could Mm. Mm. it's a segue <laughs> two go on then Matt what Lynn happened said, play it cool on the podcast like, I'm, I'm struggling <laughs> <laughs> I said so play just... it a bit cool <laughs> we met Lin-Manuel Miranda today LMM LMM yep slid into our DMs on, on Instagram we left him on red for a while <laughs> Fr- friend <laughs> of the we were, post we were
3: having lunch at Pam <laughs> yeah it
1: was a whole situation <laughs> Friend of the pod Friend of the pod And he was loving Francis Tiaffa. We felt yeah. bad taking him away from that yeah. Because he just he was he wanted to be watching it
3: He's clearly a very genuine tennis fan I mean I don't think you listen to the tennis podcast If you're not a It's probably not for you this <laughs> If you're not into your tennis I think we can convert people What are people? you doing yeah. here if you don't like tennis um, But he was so into it It was, it was wonderful Absolutely wonderful
2: marvellous mm. so Andre rublev <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh
3: wait way to kill our buzz david
2: yeah so i mean look tiafoe plays against either sinner or alcaraz first of all I should say and that, that match as we come to you we don't know the results i so will cover that later there was a very no- nice other scene in the espn coverage where they the, they'd got a crew at the tennis club in maryland mm. and they showed the celebrations when when he won, and and he was shown that while he was in the studio, and it was, it really was touching. He, his face just lit up. Um, but you know that on the other side of the net, you had look. I've I've been very vocal about how, how troubling I find Andrei Rublev on a tennis court at times and what he does to himself. He was doing things today like smashing his racket into his kneecaps and just, just abusing himself at times and I find it really hard to watch. But I also, whilst it worries me, I, also, I think it shows the perfect contrast between fulfilling your dreams in a match and having them dashed because there were moments where Tiafo's bouncing around in glee and on the other side you've got this face and picture of despair. And that kind of is what I want on a certain level from tennis and and winning and losing. But, I mean, the, I, mean the, I, I missed the moment that people tell me he burst into tears, more or less.
3: Yeah, there was a, a slow-mo shot of him crying while simultaneously biting into a tennis ball, and it was... Well, it was a picture of absolute anguish. Um, and I know we've seen that before from Andrei Rublev, but this is his sixth loss now in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. Um, it's great that he's getting there, but there's a very clear wall that he's run into. That's quite a lot of evidence that he's creating a ceiling for himself. And I think some of that ceiling in, in, is his game. There are limitations. He... he you know he's always going to be that backstop at the back of the court but that doesn't mean that he can't develop frills here and there um, and certainly develop his net net game and willingness to come in a little bit off those powerful ground strokes but an even bigger ceiling I do think is his mentality and his lack of compassion towards himself yeah Um you know, Mart- Martina Navratilova talks about the battle tennis players, and I presume all top-level athletes have with perfectionism. You know, you've got to be able to settle with for uh, excellence. She says, um, "I'll settle for just being okay,
2: <laughs> um, passable."
3: But you know, you cannot achieve perfection in sport, certainly not in tennis. And I don't, I don't know if it's that streak in him that that brings out this. Really tortured side, um, but it's something in him. There's a there's a demon in there, and I think it's a very nice demon. I, I don't. It, it's so inward his yeah. anger and his anguish. He he never directs it outwards. A little bit towards his box, um, but that feels like overflow almost because it, he's directing so much towards himself. It and looks I just,
2: like help me, help me. Yeah, I can't I, handle it.
3: It, I feel for him, me too. But he is holding himself back without question.
2: Yeah, and five of
1: those six Grand Slam quarterfinal defeats you mentioned have been straight sets, mm. and yeah, it's it's tough to watch. There was almost an exact overlap between that scene of him crying and Juan Martín Del Potro tweeting that he's on his way to the U.S. Open, and I just thought. Rublev needs a Del Potro hug it was oh. like it was like the super nanny gif you're in crisis I'm on my way
2: I wonder what he does need uh, I, because I mean Fernando Vicente seems like a really nice chap who's trying his absolute heart out for yes him. and
3: I hear great things about Fernando Vicente and their their relationship but there is an extreme emotional dependence mm. on him and maybe that's unhealthy maybe mm. it's too much I don't know
1: well Pam Shriver on ESPN said that she thinks Rublev needs a a break from the sport. You know, he he plays, he does play a lot as well.
3: But he also absolutely loves it, doesn't he? And he wants it so badly. I can imagine if he did take a break just rocking back and forth in a dark room.
2: Yeah, I mean, he. Looking
3: at checking live scores.
2: It is difficult, I think, when you're this immersed in a sport um, and you're that desperate to do well and you've got to, you know. But anyway, uh, it not uh, not to be for him.
3: I've just had a, a a thought to take us on a tangent and bring the mood up a bit again. Oh good, yeah. <laughs> Del Potro's mates with Bruce, isn't he? Yes. So if Del Potro's in town, mm, if yeah, in town.
2: Bruce Springsteen. If Del Potro's in town. Not Steve Bruce. Which from <Jalvin's> manager <laughs> for now.
3: I don't know. Just just a thought.
2: Mm, it's a good thought. I like where mm. your head's at. <laughs> Okay, it'll happen one day, you know, we've already had one massive moment of meeting... <laughs>
3: Matt can't cope, Matt today. can't cope with that just uh, yet. I imagine, I
2: just imagine if we said, Matt, <laughs> look we've got to see for you.
3: I, want, I need <laughs> to see it.
2: Okay, well, you know, one day, one day he'll become a friend of the pod, I'm sure. <laughs> I wonder if he does like tennis. Anyway, um... So the other match that we had today, started off the day, was Irina Sabalenka against Karolina Pliskova, And a really interesting match because they'd played each other in the semi-finals of Wimbledon. Pliskova had got the better of Sabalenka. And it occurred to me whilst I was commentating on this match, I don't feel as though I've ever seen the tour-level real Sabalenka in a Grand Slam tournament in my life. The only time I can imagine that it probably happened were matches that I didn't see on the way to that quarterfinal or fourth round maybe it was in 2018 where she ended up losing to Naomi Osaka and people were saying the winner of that match would have won the tournament and obviously the winner of the match did win the tournament but it was the only three-set match Osaka had, the only real uh, kind of crisis she had in the tournament and that was against Sabalenka. Every other time I feel we see Sabalenka just overflow with the moment and not be able to handle it, to use that expression again, and, and to combust. When you think of what she did did when she played in Wuhan a couple of times, and when she won Madrid, and Ash Barty couldn't cope with her, and nobody could cope with her. Today, for a set and a half, it got a bit dicey at the end, but for a set and a half, it was that Sabalenka. She was awesome the only player who's played like that at this tournament is Caroline Garcia it was was amazing to watch and who knows whether she can carry it on but I found it really exciting to watch a play like that
3: I agree, it felt unplayable for a while there didn't it, and I was waiting for the spell to break in it, and it didn't Um, I think there's a real um, I think maybe the sort of despair over her double faults I think she's hit she had hit about 360 before today. It was tour-leading number of double faults um, for the year. Maybe that has helped her sort of reach a peace with her game. You know, this is going to be messy. We, I think we talked a while back about Petra Kvitova and how sort of self-aware she is about her game. I'm going to make some mistakes. that's the way i roll and i just have to be able to put them behind me and plod on
2: that's certainly what she did at the start of the year in australia but she has been working with this biomechanist who's redeveloped
1: her serve (laughs) there was a very funny moment in the press conference about that where she mentioned him on the court didn't she saying that he had helped her with the ball toss that was too far in front and the fact that she was going for lines too much and that was obviously picked up on in the press conference and she was asked what's his name she, she doesn't know his surname
0: <laughs> <laughs> she said
1: oh uh, he's Gavin something
0: oh that's
3: the name that you you pluck from your ass when you can't <laughs> you can't remember the f- I'm not sure it is Gavin <laughs>
2: <laughs> we're googling it it's Gavin. Gavin come on something yeah google Gavin yeah. Sabalen very funny Uh, Look, I think you're right. I think a lot of it is about just being kind to yourself and accepting. Mm. But I was talking to Laura Robson in our commentary box about it, and she thinks it's all nonsense. She says, there is nothing wrong with the Sabalenka service motion. It is all in her head, she said. That was what caused the problem. She says, I don't know why she's got a biomechanist. There's nothing wrong with it. And I said, but maybe the truth is she believes that that's what's sorting her out and therefore it's sorting her head
3: out if a placebo works it it doesn't matter does it Um, and there was a there was a really notable or noticeable difference between the second serves today Sabalenka just like Tiafo and Rublev Sabalenka was winning the second serve battle for sure, she had about 10 miles per hour extra close to 10 miles per hour extra on average I think on her second serve and Was placing it well. Yes, there were some double faults, but you know, when it went in, she was she was far more dominant. Pliskova's second serve was was attackable today, and I sometimes find Sabalenka stressful to watch. I know you do too, Matt, but I didn't today. It It was it was quite
1: fun. It was a delight. Yeah, I was I was waiting for the stress to come, and it just didn't. Even in that latter stages where Pliskova did start playing better. Savalenka held on kept it together kept going for her shots made them Um, I I, I thought Pliskova was really quite bad to start the match her serve was all over the place I'd, I'd heard that she was brilliant against Azarenka I missed that match so I actually went in with quite high expectations of Pliskova because she's been working with Jez Green as well hasn't she and she she gave a quote the other day saying I should have done that ten years ago. Like <laughs> my movement's so much better with him. And then today it just it just wasn't. It was it was the sort of Pliskova that we have seen before. Um, but Sabalenka was was awesome. And, and there was a there was another funny line she gave about the fact that <laughs> because she beat Pliskova in like the first two times they played when Sabalenka was up and coming and Pliskova was established since then she's really underestimated her like she said basically I, I didn't really have that much respect for Pliskova because I managed to beat her young that was very funny and <laughs> I,
2: I, I had to turn the microphone down <laughs> to laugh at that yeah
1: I, I, I really laughed but it was also an, an honest honest insight into maybe why Pliskova had won their last couple of matches and I think today Savalenka had a, had the right mindset you know she knew that okay Piskvira actually can be dangerous I need to play well today that, that's reminding
3: me of, um, uh, of Iga Svjontek in the in her press conference after the Eula Niemeyer match um, she's being asked about Jessica Pagula the head to head between them is 2-1 in Svjontek's favour so you know not all that one sided but the one victory that Pagula got was in 2019 in Washington when she went on to win the title so um, Iga Świątek had clearly written off that defeat in her mind as sort of irrelevant, and understandably so. But she was asked a, a completely valid question, something on the, along the lines of, "You know, what in what ways has she challenged you in in your previous matches?" And Świątek went, pretty much went, "She, what are you talking about? She hasn't challenged me at all." <laughs> I've I've absolutely eaten her for breakfast for times <laughs> that we've played uh, and it was it was highly amusing because obviously egotic doesn't really do arrogance or no or um, swagger of that mm. kind but no. it was and it was an arrogance. it was very, very genuine. She was genuinely confused. What are you talking about?
2: <laughs> I love it. Well. Is there anything else that we need to say about Irina Sabalenka or Karolina Poliskova or should we go and watch said players, Igis Fiontek and uh, Jessica Pegula?
1: Well, only I would say that I think it's big that Sabalenka has at least defended these US Open points. Like, yeah. she wasn't able to defend her Wimbledon points from the semifinals last year. Obviously, there were, ended up being no points at Wimbledon. I really felt like she was maybe going to have a real dip in the rankings but actually I think defending them here mm. is is really really impressive
3: and I have just a, a mention of the women's doubles quarterfinals that were played today firstly a couple of little lines from those matches firstly the Garcia double is off oh she and Christina Mladenovic lost to Caroline Dollarhyde and Storm Sanders uh, who are actually the highest seeded pairing, 12 seeds against 14 seeds 3-3 and 3 for Dollar and Sanders might not be the worst thing for Caroline Garcia, don't, yeah. don't know but there we go um, Barbara Kruchikova and Katarina Siniakova won 6-3 in the third in their doubles quarter final they beat Dabrowski and Olmos who are very much uh, an informed pairing uh, and I'd particularly like to shout out to Katie McNally and Taylor Townsend mm. uh, that won today very comprehensively 6 6-1 over Desiree Kravchik and Demi Schurz who were the seeded pair, McNally and Townsend not seeded firstly because Katie McNally obviously previously played with Coco Goff. they reached the final here last year so I'm pleased that she's finding success with another partner and secondly because Taylor Townsend has won the outfit of the tournament competition and it's not even close she is wearing a wrestling style sort of purple fluoro unitard, and she looks amazing, and it is such a troll to the USTA that famously body shamed her back in the day um, and denied her fi- wild cards and funding because they deemed her unfit, despite the fact that she was world number one in, in juniors in, in her category at the time, and I love it. It's such a gentle good-natured little middle finger i love it
2: that is a good note on which to go and watch the evening sessions tennis hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter
3: Be there when it happens, with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the twentieth. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TennisPod20 for twenty percent off your annual subscription.
2: Matt, what time is it? It is three oh four AM. Okay. We've just watched a tennis match that has lasted five hours and 15 minutes between Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner. It was won by Carlos Alcaraz. Have we just witnessed the greatest match of all time?
1: One of them. Yeah. One of them. I mean, I was was thinking about this and I am a... I'm a product of you know, the big four era of of men's tennis over the last 15 years or whatever. That's what I've known. And this was easily, easily the best match not involving any of them that I've ever seen. That's, at this stage, that's as far as I'm prepared to go. Yeah. And it was better than lots of them involving those players. Of course it was. It was stunning. And... I do that comparison because of how it makes me feel about tennis to come over the next five or ten years. Like we've got these two guys, we're fine. That was (laughs) that was
2: thrilling. It was everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's let's rewind a little bit when we when we left Catherine, uh, who has got a rather earlier alarm call than we have. Although I say that we're still up at we're up at three a.m., so it's quite early. Um, we had the, the women's match between um, Iga Sviantek and Jessica Pagula. We'll cover that um, at the end of the show before we finish. Um, and then, I think we were really looking forward to this match. Mm. I mean, I think there was real anticipation. To, you know, the head-to-head was 2-1 Sinner, but we have spent a heck of a lot of time hyping Carlos Alcaraz over the last year. In your case, about the last six years. Mm. Um, but, to watch two players bring everything they've got, everything they've got, at the same time for that long, five and a quarter hours, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about, what, what has happened here tonight. These two players are two of the most explosive, athletic, talented, young, exciting and, I, and in this case of um, Alcaraz, I would say genuinely charismatic tennis players in the world. And they both, I think, played their best for the majority of the match and at the same time. I mean, it, at a Grand Slam in the Arthur Ashe Stadium. It just doesn't get better. It cannot get better than that unless you've stuck it in the final it couldn't get better. It's impossible. Mm. We went up, and um, we always have this sort of discussion. Well, you know, where are we going to watch the match? Are we going to? We kind of want to hear the commentary a little bit, and there are a couple of different options in our media center. Yeah, we've got the the stadium right there. We could let's see if we can get in. I mean, it's not always that easy to get in the stadium, is it? And uh, and we we started watching the match. I'm going to try and rewind and just take you through our experience of it. We were in the media room together watching that match at the start, and the first game, point number two, I, I, I jotted down. Point number two, there was a, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to get this trying to get this right because it's so long ago now. <laughs> but point two, and then point three, there were successive winners on either side of the net after extended rallies, that you know made you just think. Oh well, if it's anything, if it carries on in anything like that vein, we're in for a heck of a match. Um, and actually, that was like a bit of finger food before the <laughs> before the starter, before the main course. Um, you then went up to to your seat in the stands and watched the. the I think you watched the end of that sort of mm-hmm. first set, and you went and got a honey juice on the way up. Um, right. Yeah. And then I quickly followed um, and, and also got a hint at Honeydews. And we're having a lovely time. We're having a lovely chat. We're having a lovely watch of the tennis. It's one set to love for Alcaraz. You know, he's managed to, to step on it, hasn't he?
1: And that was important that he started the match well. Because yeah. if we think back to some of his grandson matches this season, the big ones, Yannick Sinner at Wimbledon, Kar- um, Alexander Zverev at the French Open, he started badly and found himself two sets yes. to love down. yeah. And never was able to find his best tennis. So it was big, I think, that Alcaraz came out the blocks fast, took the first set. That was that was a evolution from his previous big matches that we've seen at Slams this year.
2: Yeah, no, it, it was, and and it also it, it reversed a, a, a difficulty that he's had with Sinner. Sinner's compact game, similar movement in some ways, but. I feel like his game is under his control more at this stage. He's two years further down the track than Alcaraz is for a start, isn't he? Yeah,
1: indeed. And he. Sometimes it takes a rivalry, I think, to fully appreciate a player. You know, I've been an Alcaraz guy for a long time. Loved him the moment I clapped eyes on him. I just thought. This guy is exciting, he's thrilling, he's spectacular. I want to watch all of his matches. I've I've sometimes not felt all of those things about Yannick Sinner, but watching him play Carlos Alcaraz over the last few months and in particular this match here, I feel like I've come to appreciate Yannick Sinner way more than I had look I knew he was good I knew he he hit a sweet ball and he was talented and he he's an incredible mover with those with that sort of skiing heritage that he's got and all of those things I've been aware of but I didn't realize he was this good I don't no think. I didn't I didn't realize and either watching him hit the ball so hard take the ball so early anticipate Alcaraz's game, consistently just come up with brilliant tennis, be so resilient that he was able to play his best tennis in the biggest moments. He he blew me away tonight. Even though he lost, I feel like I appreciated him more than ever. He, he, was, he was incredible.
2: Uh, I feel the same. Um, so set two, mm. you and I sat next to each other, honey juices in hand, lapping it up, an amazing atmosphere an mm. amazing atmosphere Sinner puts on the pressure at the start of that um, second set um, I think he broke I think he might have broken for 2-1 uh, at the start of that it's, it's, it, I, I didn't make a lot of notes but I can <laughs> remember we've just watched every ball of it so you know we remember it all uh, between the two of us but as this start, this started to become a classic a mini classic in its own right just this set didn't it it was just the most astonishing set of tennis and it included in it I mean two of the best rallies I've ever seen you know two rallies won by Alcaraz both of them which were um the the first one was something like a 20-stroke rally of the players just teeing off on the ball side to side hitting it as hard as they could there wasn't a single defensive shot in either on either side of the court and eventually, Alcaraz is stretched out so far to his right that he does the full splits on the floor and ends up on his backside. Gets up, runs over the other side, and hits a backhand pass down the line. <laughs> and and simultaneously, about you, me, and about seven or eight people around us, just went, "No way!"
1: Yeah, it, it was it was unprofessional. <laughs>
2: I mean, but, yeah, we're not supposed to
1: say a lot in the press seats. it was just an instinctive reaction yeah. that it was impossible not to have.
2: And that wasn't even the best point. No. And, the, <laughs> and, and so we're already talking about how we've just seen one of the best points we've ever seen. Not exaggerating, no, no, I know it's just happened, but that's how it felt. And look, you can hear i I'm losing my voice. We've been shouting at the TV so <laughs> much exclaiming about what we're seeing. Matt's been jumping all over the room. <laughs> it's just incredible. Um, and, um, and then a couple of games later, Al Kras is running from the right hand side of his court to the left hand side, and he overruns the ball. And Sinner plays it behind him, so he plays a behind-the-back shot with perfect timing. And he absolutely middles this behind-the-back shot. Actually, I think it was from the other side of the court to the right-hand side. I can't exactly remember now. Um And he middles this ball. <laughs> the ball ends up at, I think, Sinner's feet or something. He, he hits a low volley up and... <laughs> Alcaraz passes him down the line. And it's like, and the, and again, and then the crowd go, no! <laughs> it was just comedy. And so you, you've just watched this this combination of points. And, you, and I'm thinking, if I'm Sinner now, I fall to pieces. There's no way he's going to be able to cope with this going on down the other end. And he did. And he did. He then won
1: the tie break. Um, but just before that, Alcaraz had had... A mid-court forehand to win the set. I think he, he just hit the backwards, uh, the behind-the-back shot, and then he 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 found himself set point up with a mid-court forehand. and he put it in the net, and that would have taken him two sets to love up. That that was a
2: big error, wasn't big it? And, error? And, and it was at that point it felt like the difference between these two guys is one of them. Wins the points. You have to win mm-hmm. in order to win the match, and the other one wins the spectacular ones that everybody remembers. Yeah, and at some point, Alcaraz is going to have to learn how to win the other ones.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, I I couldn't believe the shots I'd seen from Alcaraz in a set he didn't win.
2: <laughs> just yeah. I mean, what's that? Just about?
1: ridiculous. Um,
2: and actually, I, I think at the, that at that point. I mean, I'm I'm starting to think. Well, he can't. He's not going to win then, really. So he did. He actually did a really good job of gathering himself in that third set. What What happened in that third set? Because that's also a tiebreak set that Yannick Sinner won.
1: Yes, and that was a burst of I think Sinner's best tennis in the whole match, when Nowakowsk was serving for the set at six five. Sinner suddenly won about twelve. 12- 13 points in a row to break win the tie break seven love the second seven love tie break we had today oh my
2: word that 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 purple patch of formy yeah he was unplayable unplayable because because he didn't yeah i mean he, that hold and then the oh my goodness so he broke he, he won broke. the
1: tie break and then he and then he uh went up a break i think at the start of the fourth as and well, Al- the it?
2: look on alcaraz's face he, could, he couldn't work out what was no. happening at that point. And, he looked gone.
1: Yeah, and he started to uh, really talk <laughs> over to to Juan Carlos Ferrero, And it was in Spanish, but he was saying, I don't know where to serve. I don't know where to serve. And and Juan Carlos Ferrero just looked at him and smiled. And it was basically saying, well, you're going to have to figure it
2: out, aren't you? <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> it, was it was such a wonderful magical. kind of... Paternal way mm. of dealing with him without any sense of reliance. It was, and and you could see Carlos looked a little bit hurt. Almost, he looked a little, a, a little bit gutted that mm. Juan Carlos wasn't stepping up for him at this point. But it was to try to help make him a man. He yeah. was trying he was trying to help his development, wasn't he? Um, and it was brilliant. And then as as that fourth set went on. I mean the before before we get to this but when he eventually wins the fourth set he stands stock still in the middle of the court looking at one car as if to say did you did you see what I just did? <laughs> Reminded me a bit of that Cantona celebration. Yes. With the with the sort of the, the collar up and mm. the kind of uh, Look l- at uh, that. <laughs> did you what did I just do?
1: <laughs> I did. I did. And um, and what he had done was save match point yeah. in that fourth set on and, and on Sinner's serve. Sinner
2: was serving for the set, the, for the match at yeah. that point.
1: Yeah, he, he had match point. Alcaraz made the return. Sinner missed the backhand. And then all hell broke loose and it, yeah, Alcaraz well, broke back and just managed to win the fourth set.
2: And what, and what Alcaraz has in those moments, when he when he gets that extra bit of adrenaline, that extra bit of energy... I think he has something even Sinner doesn't have. Mm. It's 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 like he's got jet-propelled feet, and it, it, he hits the ball in in this way that it's it's like his racket has become electrocuted and just supercharged because he's hitting ball. He's hitting the ball like you might hit in practice when you're messing around and it doesn't matter. Mm. You hit it so hard. Because you can because there's no consequence and uh, and it it's the most he is the most magnetic explosive player in the world when he's in that frame of mind. I mean you can't keep that up you can't do that for for set after set there's just, there's only uh, little moments I think that you can do the turbo boost like that but he's got it and he just ripped it away from sinner in that moment but then it wasn't over. Because we we come back here, we we come back to the flat. We've got the crisps out, we've <laughs> the cheese straws, the cheese. We're having everything, <laughs> and we're just we're just full on yelling at the TV at two in the morning. Well, it just it just <laughs> didn't stop. It just kept
1: getting better and better and better, and it was just relentlessly extraordinary. In 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 all the key moments, they played well. You know, I, like I think part of the excitement here as well is as good as that was they are going to get better like yeah I think both of them their serve is, is an area where they're going to improve I mean Sinner hit a lot of double faults today he did serve better as the match went on and actually it, it served him well in in quite a lot of key moments Alcaraz for such a powerful serve doesn't I don't think get enough free points off it. You know, yeah. he's having to work so hard, even they're, though he's got a massive delivery. They're both
2: going to get so much better, and
1: and they're going to push each other to get better. That that that's what that's what I find exciting about there being a rivalry. You know, because you only have to l- listen to the way Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic have spoken about each other. They recognise that they've all made each other better, and they've had to develop their games to deal with one another. And I I think we're already seeing that with, with Alcaraz and, and, and Sinner. You know, Alcaraz knows he's got his hands full with Sinner because the way Sinner can play him causes him problems on every single surface. Yeah. And Sinner knows this guy's two years younger than me and he's already that good and he's already beating me. I need to get better. It's They're going to push each other to... Just greatness.
2: Sinners' hand-eye coordination. Oh. Given what's what's coming in his direction, is truly astonishing. Mm. And I think you can only you only really pick that up against Alcraz because he's the one who hits it relentlessly, powerfully at him, and he just he has an ability to redirect it, middle it, redirect it, often with a full swing. You know, they're just taking full cuts at each other, <laughs> off off a full cut. Mm. that that doesn't happen no and um and he's able to control it and turn it turn the defense into attack and wow what a player he is and um and anyway as this match goes on into the into this fifth set um i mean where did it, what what score did it end on at the end it
1: ended on, I believe, it was 6-3. Six, three.
2: Six, three. and yet it felt close. Oh, all, it was all close. the way through that. That yeah. was nip and tuck, even at the end, wasn't it? Um.
1: Yeah, and it was just, it was just an acceleration from Alcaraz again, right at the end. There was, there was a point very near the end where he chased down a drop shot or a drop volley. I can't quite remember, but. He chased it all the way down and hit a hit a backhand pass off it.
2: I mean, who moves
1: like that at three o'clock in the
2: morning? <laughs> that, that was what Matt said. He jumped out of his seat, ran around the room and said, who moves like that at three o'clock in the morning? And I'm thinking, well, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly. It was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. And, and he's high-fiving people yes, in the crowd mid-match. You know, he's sort of going around high-fiving them and... Oh, dear. I mean, I feel for Yannick Sinner, of course. Um, and yet, I feel more encouraged for him than ever because he's just shown he's shown another level here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, there are going to be people that are not going to want to face that in the future. Um, the, the, he, the, those two have made some of the others look ordinary by comparison mm-hmm. in their age group. So, uh, an absolute... Treat, privilege, everything you could you could imagine in terms of ways to to talk about that match. I just feel really chuffed that we've had we've had a chance to see it. I feel bad for Catherine because she had some pretty severe FOMO, fear of missing out. And she uh, hates us right now. Yeah, yeah, she's not happy with us at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I would too if I were in her position. <laughs> Absolutely, she'll catch up though, don't you worry? Um, and she had Australia. See, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't in Australia. So anyway, you know, we uh, we had a good time tonight, um, and it need, now means that we get Carlos Alcaraz against Francis Tiafoe. That sounds all right, doesn't it? <laughs> That's all right. Then we'll <laughs> take that one. I mean, he was.
1: Well, Francis Tiafo surely was enjoying this. I mean, he said in his press conference, "I hope they play for ever and you know kill each other." Yeah, and that's that's what happened. I mean, and and don't forget, both of Sinner and Alcaraz had gone five sets in the previous round as well, and Alcaraz had finished at around about two in the morning. Then, I mean, he's he's been on court for almost well around about ten hours, yeah, and finishing in the early hours. And I think. Yesterday, he he didn't hit. I believe he, he just had a training session. Like he has to adjust now because of these really late finishes. He has to think about his schedule and how he prepares, and it just yeah. just changes everything. And he, he's young; like he's not got experience with this. He's obviously got Juan Carlos Ferrero in his corner, an experienced team. But yeah, you, you feel like as great as Alcaraz's tennis was today, the circumstances do. Do give Tiafo a helping hand there a little yeah. bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a factor.
2: And he's beaten him before, so that he's got chances. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, it's going to be brilliant. What a great match to look forward to. Um, it, this one was the latest US Open match in history. Um, finishing, what was it, 2-something two, two something like in the morning? I 2.50. Two fi- 2.50 in the morning.
1: Yeah, it was it easily was, the latest. It was
2: the second longest US Open match in history. I, I remember watching the longest, which was Stefan Edberg against Michael Chang in 1992. We were talking about that today, weren't we? How you've got it on video. Yes, I've got that on video somewhere. That's right. <laughs> uh, I don't have a video recorder anymore because <laughs> they don't. <laughs> nobody uses those anymore. Uh, but yes, I remember watching that back then. Um, so, I mean, look, I still think it's ridiculous that they're the, the playing tennis at these sort of times of the night. But yeah. at the same time, I feel really... <laughs> chuffed that i've got to see it and that we have and that and everybody else who's listening to this a lot of people are going to see it and and just feel exhilarated and uplifted for the next however long yeah i mean if you didn't see it watch it just go watch it i mean watch it you know watch watch an extended highlights if you can if you if you get if you've got five hours to spare you won't regret it (laughs) <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch it again. <laughs> right. Anyway, so that's um, that's coming up in a couple of days' time. We don't know what which order they'll have those matches. Um, Alcaraz and Tiafo and um, who's the other one before between now? I can't remember who's playing. You're it. forgetting Rude and Hachinov, David. Rude and Hachinov. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, right. That, that's. Funny, um,
1: that. I mean. I mean. Alcaraz winning it extends or further extends the number one race because, you know, if, if Alcaraz had lost today, then all Ruud would have needed to have done was, was beat Hachinov, but yeah. it, it gets more complicated than that now that Alcaraz is still in.
2: Okay. Um, the women's quarterfinal, the final women's quarterfinal was between Iga Svantec and Jessica Bagula. It was won by Svantec in, in straight sets. Wasn't that straightforward though? Um, she went a break down early on. Then she reeled off, I think, about five games in a row to lead by a set and a break. And then there were loads of breaks in the second set. It was ten, really. Mm. Goodness me! I mean, it was it was a messy match, but it was illuminated by some absolutely spectacular shot making. I mean, if we hadn't seen Alcaraz and Sinner, we would be banging on about this match because there were some rallies between. Bigula and Shvedt, where they were teeing off at one another without any defensive strokes in the rallies, and and we were gasping at some of those, weren't we?
1: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this match, especially those those latter stages where there were there were six breaks in a row heading into the second set tie break, and then five mini breaks to start the tie break. You know, the the momentum was was swinging back and forth. Uh, She was having a lot of trouble throughout the match seemingly with her string tension. She kept sending rackets off and changing rackets and she was in her own head about it and because sometimes she was playing perfectly well and then switching racket and she would lose control of the ball and... Pagula, I thought, just had a real lapse, didn't she, at the end of that first set, start of the second set. I felt like Pagula would be consistent enough to take advantage of Schiavone not playing her best, as she hasn't been all tournament. Um, I think Schiavone played better today, but as you said, it was it was streaky. You know, there were lots of times where it wasn't her best tennis. Uh, but, yeah, those th- those closing stages, both players going after the ball, some, some thrilling rallies. And, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I also enjoyed Jessica Bagula's press conference where she um, came in with a can of Heineken. <laughs> and the um, one of the journalists said, oh, why... I like the Heineken. She said, yes, I'm, I'm trying to pee for doping. <laughs> 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 and also it helps to ease the loss. <laughs> oh, bless. And honestly, you know, she's an incredibly chill person, isn't she? She's great. But that was probably as as down as I've seen her after one of these losses. Like, you know, she, sa- she says, I'm taking the positives. Like, it's another quarter final. I've lost the world number one. But she said it sucks. You know, I keep losing to the world number one, and I've, yeah. I'm being a bit unlucky with my draw. But I've also, you know, I want to win those matches, and I think there's a fire burning there in Pagula, which you maybe don't always see outwardly. But i I feel like she's just going to keep keep coming, keep turning up, and one day she's probably going to get it.
2: Yeah, well, I I agree. She will keep turning up. Um, listening in the world feed commentary to to Mary Carillo and Lindsay Davenport, they they were saying in the first set that they that it's a shame that she really isn't playing as well mm-hmm. in the match as she had been all the way through the tournament now in the second set I'm not sure what they said in the second set because we were watching in the stadium I thought she got way better and she started to really compete toe to toe in the rallies again it's just one of those just didn't win the important ones mm. really and svantek she's a, she's a champ you know and she's the thing is the interesting thing with her now is she's now at that stage of a tennis tournament where she usually just goes and destroys people mm. so yeah she may find that gear now yeah and i think
1: relative to what they're capable of i, I think she's probably still playing the worst tennis out of the four remaining players I would interesting. say, interesting. Um, but she's the she's the only one who's got the experience of winning one of these Grand Slam tournaments, and it, it's a great lineup. You know, you got the world number one, Sviantek. You've got the semi-finalist from last year, Sabalenka. You've got the finalist of the most recent Slam in Jabir. and you've got the most informed player in the world in Garcia. That is a that is a fire lineup. I'm I'm excited for these semifinals tomorrow and women's semifinal night at the US Open the last two years has been one of the great tennis nights hasn't it and I think it's I think it's great that they get that prime time slot and yeah I'm 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 pumped well
2: we won't be forgetting the Naomi Osaka against Jennifer Brady match Mm -hmm. and the Victoria Azarenka against Serena Williams night during the pandemic when it was empty but it was just fantastic mm. sport
1: and then last year we had the continuation of the teenage story you know it was like is it going to happen and it did you know Fernandez yeah. Raducan it, it was it was special yeah,
2: it sure was it sure was so what what, what we got tomorrow Matt um, that it is those semi-finals isn't it what what order are they being played because it's it's going to be um Igor against Arena Sabalenka and it's going to be Ons against Caroline Garcia. I haven't actually seen the order of play. Um, is that out yet?
1: Yes, it is. It's Garcia Jabeur to start, followed by sviantec Sabalenka.
2: Okay, well, I mean it's it's mouthwatering stuff, isn't mm. it? I, th- I mean, I think I will go for Garcia to face Sviantek in the final. I think I will as well. Mm. That's my feeling. And then, yeah. um, and then I, I think, well. I'll leave the f- who I think will end up winning it. I mean, I've picked Schwantek for the tournament, but Garcia's level has been such that um, it's it's given me reason to sort of think mm. very closely as to whether whether actually she's now the favourite. Um, she's playing the best tennis yeah. overall, I think. So it's um, it's going to be fascinating. Really, really looking forward to it. Um, we will end it there I think Matt go and get some sleep (laughs) (laughs) Um, at least it is a late start tomorrow so uh, for us anyway Uh, Catherine's got to be up earlier but um We'll be back with another tennis podcast t- tomorrow night. Thank you so much for listening. Do tell your friends about the show if you're enjoying it. you know we're trying to spread the word and build it as big as we can, and it helps then to keep it going. Um, do leave us a, a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. If that's your app or uh, if it's Spotify, if you could leave us a review, that always helps as long as it's a nice one you know <laughs> otherwise, don't bother. Um, and yeah, become a friend of the tennis podcast. If, uh, if you'd like to gain access to 20 bonus shows that we've already done, we, we do tennis relived shows where we've most recently told the story of Tracy Austin's extraordinary career and the the run of Jimmy Connors in 1991, uh, which is very close to my heart. And we spoke to Patrick McEnroe for it. And we've got loads of those sort of shows in the, the Friends of the Tennis Podcast archive um, that we've recorded over the last year. Uh, we do Q&As. We're going to be doing a Q&A where you can ask questions of Matt, Catherine and myself. Um, we're doing a couple of those podcasts and we'll be doing a review show next week where we'll uh, have a little bit of distance from the tournament, just a day or so, uh, and then relive it all.
1: How much of it will be spent talking about Sina Alcraz, I oh, wonder.
2: I can't wait to find out what Catherine <laughs> thinks about mm. it. Um, and you can enter our competition that we were talking about earlier on, Um, which is in association with AO Travel. And, uh, yeah, go and have a look at what they offer, ausopentravel.com, A-U-S, opentravel.com. And they've got some amazing packages. They'll do everything for you, Um, faff, free. So it's very much our kind of thing. Uh, And our competition is for one friend of the tennis podcast to win a trip for two with flights, economy flights, return flights, uh, an accommodation, three nights, four days' worth of tennis tickets at the Australian Open and a premium experience. How about that? One friend of the Tennis Podcast is going to get that. So if you're not already a friend, sign up and uh, and you can enter. We're going to call it a, a day there. Phoebe, our mascot for the US Open. Thank you, as always. Uh, Carter for Catherine. Darwin for me. Um, the dearly departed Gerald for Matt. Um, Billy Jean King and Delana Kloss for Billy Jean the Dog. Um, our executive producers and top blokes, Carl Weingartner and uh, Chris Albert-Lee. Uh, and we're going to save shout for tomorrow because, honestly, we haven't got any energy left. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to rest up just like Carlos Alcaraz um, and hope to find another day tomorrow. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.